Welcome to Sounds Garage. This is more than just a place to work on cars. This is a place where I'm able to connect with people, talk story, and share them with the world. So in this current time, there are lots of important stories that need to be shared around the Black Lives Matter movement. And I'm not claiming to have any answers or that I'm the best ally. The truth is that I'm still sad and confused and have a lot of questions and definitely a lot to learn. But one thing for sure is that the conversation needs to go on and we must stay engaged and active. So today's talk was energized by a conversation I had with my good friend Kurt from Atlanta, Georgia. My conversation with Kurt inspired me to hop onto a call with my close family members on my stepdad's side. Uh, I had a great conversation with Kurt and my cousins, Corey, Kendra, LaShonda, and Ezra, or I like to call them Chubbs. So we cover how they feel as black Americans, as parents, uh, as young men, as uh, Americans. He got his license last year. I had to have a conversation with him. What would you do or what he needs to do if he gets pulled over by a police? I don't think a white mother is having that conversation with, with their son. They're having a completely different conversation than I am with him. And then just the other day, I had to remind him of the conversation. Like, let me make sure that it's fresh in your, in your mind, what you need to do if you get pulled over. And I just think those, those are conversations that I shouldn't be having as a mother with a child. It's, it's terrifying. We also talk about how they educate around the movement. As Black people, what we've been trying to communicate to other people is feel, listen to, and understand our pain. There has been a palpable, legitimate sense of pain and anguish that has been expressed right. from the Black community for the past several hundred years, but it's coming, it's came to a head the last few days. And I've, to me, it seems as though white people and people from other ethnicities are, understanding, feeling, and acknowledging that pain. They so actually I, want to know, too. They actually want to know what's going no on, how, how we feel. And we discuss how the phrase all lives matter distracts from the May movement. Well, but that's the whole reason why Black Lives Matter hashtag even exists, is because when you kill an unarmed Black person that is not being a threat to you, and you get to go home in your bed and sleep because you're a police officer or just a white guy or just raised by a white daddy, George Zimmerman, even just that, <laughs> when you're able to kill, take a, a human life and then go home and watch the Brady Bunch on TV, that's why the hashtag exists. So right. matter, we know you matter because if I look at you wrong, I get arrested. Your life must matter a lot. I hope your conversation encourages you to take a step back and just listen and empathize with others and their experiences. And that's it. We don't have the answers, but I think this could be a constructive beginning or a useful tool. All right, be good.
Are you still in Atlanta right now? I am, yep. Yeah. So you've been seeing a lot of chaos the last couple of days. It's been crazy, man. It's honestly crazy everywhere. Um, just trying to, you know, wrap, wrap it around my head at this moment. It's, it's just so much that is being done, and I'm glad justice is being served finally. But um, it's still not over, you know. We still got a lot. Who's a came lot to out do. today? Yeah. What? I say what? Oh, I was saying the news came out today that the other officers were being charged. Yeah. Yeah, from third degree murder, one of the guys is the guy that did the choking is going to be convicted for uh, or tried for second degree, and Thank then you. the other, yeah, the other guy's uh, third degree, right? So. right? Which is a catch twenty two because although that seems great, and you know, I hope you know everything works out, it also has you now um, the prosecutors have to prove. What is it? Attempt or something? There's a there's there's an extra thing that they have to prove in order to become a second degree murder, which obviously has a stronger charge. But um, now they have to prove something extra, so <laughs> it kind of makes it harder for a conviction. But hopefully, it works. Yeah. Hey, you know this this conversation it was inspired by Kurt. Um, you know. I don't know something. Well, he was calling, and then I owed him a phone call, and uh, and then I was thinking about him for some weird reason, and then I gave him a call, and then you know he was sharing with me what um, you know his friends, his his Caucasian friends were kind of, I guess, perplexed, you know, and their reaction to his kind of approach to what's going on, and. I, you know, Kurt, could you share with us what you told me, like what your friends, you know? Absolutely. And actually, we actually, the guy who um, I was referring to, him and I actually had a Zoom call yesterday for a couple hours last night. Um, oh. We started at 8 p.m. And he basically just asked me as many questions as possible. Um, he asked me questions in order to understand uh, the black perspective to actually listen and, and comprehend um, because I feel like nowadays that's not what you know they do for us we, we don't have a voice so it was good that one of my close friends was willing to hear me and um, actually what I told Sung he literally was asking me how do I feel he wanted me to just get everything off my chest um, and he was asking me that what hit what hit home is the fact that he asked me, why did I, um, why did I say that I would, I would pray for him? And after our conversation, he said, I don't know if I'm man enough to say I will pray for someone else during this time. So you are a better man than me. And my, my response was, I have to do the godly thing. Um, God put me on this earth for a reason. And if I don't, you know, share my love, my heart, uh, my genuine heart with people, then I'm just as ignorant as they are. I have to do my due diligence to make sure that they understand that we come from a strong background and that we have a voice and that we are determined to change the world no matter what is going on. We're immune to all of this stuff. All this stuff is natural to me, you know? And I told him I'm pretty used to it. I'm used to 
everybody looking down on me. I'm used to being an underdog, but that's what made me go harder. And that's what made me show even more love that, that I, I, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even fathom reaching their level of ignorance. And it's, it's, it's disgusting to me. And I would be disgusted in myself if I, you know, use that, my, if I didn't use my voice to make sure that they felt like they were loved, no matter how they treat us. Right. I, I have to continue to treat them the same way, no matter what's going on, despite how they treat us. So it's funny that you mentioned that, that saying that you've been used to it, because that's a reoccurring theme in the conversations that I've had with my friends over the past eight days is they ask, and I've been really optimistic that they've reached out to me and asked my perspective on what it is that's going on and ask, can I help? But one of the things they seem to be in disbelief about is that you're used to it. This is your everyday existence from every day, from the day that you became a black male and the time that you had to talk and the time that you left your house. It's your existence every single day. And you think about it every single day, whether you're going to the store to return something and need a receipt or whether you're dressed to go run around your neighborhood or whether you're driving to the store. It's something that's constantly on your mind and in your heart every single day and you've gotten used to it. I've gotten used to it, but it gets tiring. It gets tired, it gets heavy. And that's something that a lot of people don't really understand until somebody expresses that to them. This is something that I think about every single day, every single aspect that I interact with somebody else on, it's something that's always there and it's always present. We're used to it, but it's also something that's there every single day and every single interaction that you have with another person. That's a very good point. And I'll, and I'll say that, um, just like you said, you know, we've been doing this for 400 years now from slavery on, on to today. And I'll say that it's based off of racism, but racism isn't the problem to me. I feel like it's, it's, even though racism is bad, everyone have freedom of speech. Everyone have the ability to learn right from wrong, whether they learn it at home, at, at school, everyone have a different story. And me, me and Son talk about this all the time. How, how are you gonna write your story? So even if they were fed to be racist and treat black people wrong, they still have their own choice to make. So if they make that choice, they have all right to do that, to do so. You know, freedom of speech is real and I respect freedom of speech. But, and, and back to my point, I don't feel like racism is the issue. I feel like it's the system, the way the system handles the racism. So people in their homes can be nasty. They can do whatever they want to. They can bash us. They can do whatever they want to. But do we get justice outside of the racism? They want us out so bad that they're willing to do everything to put the targets on our back. And it's okay. You know, like I said, I'm used to it. It's okay to the system. But that's what needs to change. Right. And I feel like that's what's changing right now. Right. So you're saying that it is changing right now in the positive, but with all the looting. What is that? What is uh, that? So, so I wouldn't say with the looting. The looting is a whole different, whole different thing. You have That's a whole different problem. Yeah, you have your peaceful protesters and you have your looters. Um, 
and the looters, they're just there to cause chaos. The peaceful protesters are there to bring peace. So as right now, just like any other day, they're looking at us as one when that's not the case at all. You've seen a clear line of delineation in the past couple of days with the fact that all of the protests during the daylight hours have been peaceful, organized for 12, 13, 14 hours a day. And then when nightfall comes, there's looting and lawlessness. But that lawlessness is opportunistic lawlessness that's not being committed by the people who are there protesting. That's people who are going to commit criminal acts no matter what no matter what day or time it is. Criminals, criminals commit crimes and they're and opportunistic. And, that, and that's and, to my point. And they're looking, and it's just opportunistic lawlessness. That's not looting. It's just criminals committing crime when they see an opportunity to commit crime. And during the last couple of days, you've seen a clear line of lineation with the protests that have occurred during the daylight hours with tens of thousands of people congregating at the same time, in the same space, in the same areas from all ethnicities because they're tired of what- Even other countries too. They're tired of what it is that's going on. But then when nightfall comes, you've seen people who are gonna be opportunistic about lawlessness with people concentrated in one area and the ability to commit a crime. And that's completely separate from the protests and what it is that's going on. Right, the looting has nothing to do with the, nothing to do with the protests going on. I, I, the looting is unnecessary. that the that the looting um, is separate, and that the looting only makes a argument for the people who say that Black Lives Matter as a terrorist group. They're associating the looting the Black Lives Matter movement, which is two different things. My question that I keep grappling with in my mind is, what's the difference now? For example, when Eric Garner was killed, when Michael Brown was killed, um, all these people, there was protest. There was protest. But yet, this is different. It feels different. Um, all of these major companies, Netflix, Hulu, um, Facebook, all these major companies are coming out with statements saying, you know, racism needs to stop, brutality needs to stop, all these things. But this is the first time of all these deaths, this is the first time these major companies are coming out with these statements. And I don't know if they're just used to putting out statements now because of the pandemic. They're just like, we'll put out another statement. But they're putting out all these statements, and I want to know, what is the difference? Because we've had videos for all these other people that died too. Is it looting that's, that's causing them to say, okay, um, turn down Target? This is the first time that these protests have uh, ended up with targets being burnt down, auto zones, uh, police precincts. Um, these are the first times that, that we've seen all these places be burnt down. And this is the first time that we've seen all of these businesses take a stance against police. Well, I'll, I'll speak to her. Um, I feel like the difference is social media. Social media is huge right now uh, with Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Snapchat. You know, and not saying it wasn't big back then, but Instagram and other social media platforms is how people make their money. 
So right. if they're not marketing themselves or branding their, themselves, and and honestly, it's us who who you know spend our dollars in, in these companies. So they don't want to lose out on not only the black people but the other races that are backing us up. Because if you if you can see left and right, everyone is like up oh, cancel, 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 because people are putting out these bogus statements and not doing what they're supposed to do. I'm I'm actually not one to actually get on social media and put out any statements. But if I had to, I feel like it was necessary. I'm going to use my voice no matter what. I have, what, 3,000 followers. So I have to, you know, do mine in-house. I have to reach out to different people. I have to talk to Ezra after this call to do my job as a Black man to make sure the next Black man have justice or have opportunity. Because that's one thing that I didn't have when I was born. I'm from Detroit the inner city of Detroit. I literally was born in poverty. I had nothing. I had no way. Um, a single parent household, um, all boys in the house. And I had to literally, everything that I got, I had to grind 10 times harder to get it. The school systems was trash. Everything was trash. And, and, and God literally made a way for me. So I would never take that away from him. And like I said, I have to do my godly duties to make sure that everyone feels this. And I, I not only do it for myself and my family and my my legacy, but I have to do it for other people and their legacy as well. This this is, has felt different to me, and I have my opinions on why it's felt different or why it is different to me. But how have you all experienced this versus things that have occurred during other portions of your life? This feels different to me. This feels like a watershed moment, and it feels like it feels that way to a large number of people. There feels like a different feeling, a different interaction, a different vibe with what it is that occurred this time. How have you all experienced what is different this time versus what has been existed in previous times? It's different because we're tired. Yes. You know, we're just tired of yeah, this constantly happening over and over and over. And not only are we tired, actually have a platform to be able to speak because you know if you go back to the Rodney King incident they were burning down buildings they were looting and all that type of stuff like that like they're doing now but it wasn't so extreme because we didn't have the social media we didn't have the voice that we do and it was the beginning it's just but it's been like three in the last 30 days Three in, so, three in the last three in the last 10 days, in the last seven or eight days. Yeah, so less than 30 days. You yeah. know, we're just at the point where we're, we're tired. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'll say it personally hit home for me because George Floyd and I have the same attributes all around. I'm 6'6", six, six, he's 6'6". Six, six. Um, we share the same skin complexion, um, the same build. I'm muscular, he was muscular. So... I feel like they what they did was they took his size and they were automatically intimidated by his skin complexion, his mm-hmm. build, and his because you know us, us as black people we have so much so so much other thing that other races don't have. That's why we're we're so athletic. We're so your existence is weaponized immediately. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And, and you know people people love black culture until it's time to support the black culture. You know, right? So so. As of with, with that being said, um, a lot of times people like me that's already 
I walk up to you and you like, why are you so tall? Mm-hmm. You know, but they really saying, why are you so black? You know, right. so right. so it's like it's like if I walk out my door, I'm driving. As soon as I see a cop, I'm I'm I look at the rearview mirror more than I'm looking ahead of me, yeah. just right. to see if he pulled out and he's trying to come behind me to pull me over. And what I do, I immediately turn my camera on. I immediately call my wife and put her on FaceTime just so she can see me before I, I die. Right. Um, and then so even if they are being aggressive with me, I can't argue back. I can't get frustrated. I can't yell and scream like I want to. I can't ask why'd you pull me over? Because they they automatically feel like I'm being aggressive. And if I stand yeah. up, they tell me you got the car, they're gonna realize how big I am and know that I can take them down real easy. So they're they're intimidated, scared. they're scared. Yeah. They're scared and they act out of out of out of control. They do. And That's what scares me about him because he's six foot and he likes to wear his black jackets with his hoodies. He likes to wear his, you know, things to cover his head, especially when he doesn't have a fresh haircut. He likes all of that stuff, but that scares me. Why should him wearing the clothing that he wants to wear scare me? Not to cut you off, I was going to ask you, how do you feel right now as a black mom with a a tall African-American son? Terrified. Terrified. He works across the street, which is literally walking distance from our house. I pick him up and drop him off. And if he takes the car... I'm like, if I'm asleep, I need you to wake me up and let me know that you're home. Because if not, I literally jump up out of my bed to look to see if the car is outside to make sure that he's home. And he's less than five minutes away. It's, it's terrifying because the North Las Vegas police drive around in our neighborhood all the time. You know, when he... But you just got your license last week, not last week, last year. He got his license last year. I had to have a conversation with him. What would you do or what he needs to do if he gets pulled over by a police? I don't think a white mother is having that conversation with, with their son. They're having a completely different conversation than I am with him. And then just the other day, I had to remind him of the conversation. Like, let me make sure that it's fresh in your in your mind. What you need to do if you get pulled over, and I just think those those are conversations that I shouldn't be having as a mother with a child. It's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying for him to walk down the street. I know our generation. When I was seventeen, you better not even think about asking your parent to ride to and from work. You better walk. <laughs> You better get on the bus. You know, you better figure it out. But it's, I don't hey, Corey, even want him walking down the street. When, hey, Corey, when do you remember, Corey, do you remember yeah. we had that talk with your dad? I wish your dad was here because he could speak on his generation. But remember, we talked about that 240Z that he had um, when yep. you, we were kids. And that was my first introduction to that car. It's just kind of serendipitous how eventually I went off and, was part of like a very famous 240 build. Remember we had that conversation and then um, we, you were, you, you talked about the emphasis of uh, carrying your license, having your license as a black man, as a young black man and why 
um, why your dad emphasized that and how, what experience actually made you realize, you know, you need it. And it, you guys were in the 300Z, were you not? And so it's a speech that he had been given to me from the time that I was 16 years old and got a driver's license, that it was incumbent upon me to have my driver's license on me at all times to prove who I am. And when you're 16, you discount 90% of the stuff that your parents say to you. It doesn't really matter to you. You're, you're invincible, whatever. And so our cousin, and Deborah was, Deborah was getting married. Deborah was getting married at the time. She was getting married on the West Side. She was getting married at a church. Who's Deborah for the people? people? Who's Deborah for the people that? Deborah is Deborah is our cousin. We have a cousin okay. Deborah who was getting married at the time, and okay. she was getting married at a church in an urban area. And I know in a lot of urban areas in the country, there's church, church, liquor store. There's a lot of churches in places where black people tend to congregate. And so my dad, he wasn't a person who attended church regularly, so he didn't know First Baptist from Third Baptist from new Pentecostal from whatever. Mm -hmm. So we're going to Deborah's rehearsal for the wedding. And we were unsure of what church to go to. So we stopped at the first church. That was the wrong church. We stopped at the second church. That was the wrong church, but it was in <laughs> close proximity. And so we're on our way to the third church. And as we're on our way to the third church, cops pull up behind us, see us driving in a very nice car. He pulls us over. So he goes to the window, says, can I see your driver, your driver's license or registration? Yes, can I ask you, can I, my dad says, can I ask what you pulled us over for? And he says, don't worry about it. And he goes to the back of his car, comes back and he says, can both of you step out of the car? So we both step out of the car yeah. and he says, can both of you come over here and put your hands on the front of my car? So we both come over and put our hands on the front of my car, in front of his car. And my dad says to me, do you have your driver's license? And I said, yeah, I have my driver's license. And so the officer comes back and he says, do you have your driver's license? I said, yeah, I have my driver's license and gave it to him. And my dad asked again, is there a reason that you pulled us over? And he went on to explain that we were two black men driving a very nice car in a neighborhood and that he didn't know the good ones from the bad ones, is what he said. Wow. And so then my dad asked him, can you, can you tell my son what would have happened to him if he didn't have his driver's license on him? And the cop said, well, if he couldn't prove who he was, then we might have assumed something else and we might have taken him to wherever we wanted to take him. And so my dad looked at me and I looked at him with our hands on the hood of a police car in the middle of the street as we're attempting to go to our cousin's wedding. And there's something that's debilitating about that. It's, it's, when it happens to you, it's, it's one thing. But when it happens to your father and you're sitting there watching him and he has no recourse at all, but to listen to the words of a police officer who says, we can't tell the good ones from the bad ones and you're driving a nice car what 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 else what else can you do what recourse do you have except to feel emasculated right. less than unworthy angry those and are the only feelings you can have because you know that that wouldn't have happened to a white son and a white father that wouldn't have, whether it was in the same neighborhood the same street the same location, had both of you guys been white, 
that wouldn't have happened. And, and and they they like, you're you're not, not, he didn't, he didn't make any bones about it. He said, you know, we, I can't tell the good ones from the bad ones. I don't you're know not supposed you're to have your license unless you're driving. You wasn't even driving. Why did you need your license? Valid point, but not the real, not the real existence that we live in. And that's the thing with this police brutality. I think this is the thing that is making people so tired and frustrated while there's protests and looting and rioting and they just don't care anymore is the fact that it's an abuse of power. It's racial mm-hmm. profiling. It's mm-hmm. an abuse of power. It's the, it, just because you have the ability to do something doesn't mean you have to do it. And I don't know if the if law enforcement need like an extra psych evaluation in order to determine the good ones from the bad ones, but there right. needs to be something else to prevent these people who get power hungry. I understand. I work at a thankless job and I understand the law enforcement is a thankless job. I completely understand. I understand that they have to keep their back. They have to watch their back and make sure that, you know, no one pulls the jump on them. I get that. But when you're simply just watching a, 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 a family drive from one church to the to the other church in a nice car, that that is a abuse of power, one hundred percent. And I and I think that's the 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 issue of what's going on today. Just because you can doesn't mean you have to. I watched the video uh, last week, right after the George Floyd video came out. There was another video that came out. That this young man, he was 21 years old, he ran a stop sign. He ran a stop sign. And so they, they turned on uh, their sirens uh, and he was scared. He was only a block away from his grandmother's house. So his, the sirens are on. He, instead of stopping immediately, he pulled into his grandma's driveway. They did tell him, get out the car, get out the car, get out the car. And um, his family comes out and they're like, he's scared, he's scared. He eventually gets out the car. Hands up, he's 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 like he said, I'm scared, I'm scared. He just kept repeating, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. Eventually, he lays down on the ground, hands up. Their guns, there's three cop cars. Their guns are drawn at him. They're yelling at him. He's yelling and scared. His 90 year old grandmother walks out of her house. Then she says, Please leave him alone. He's a good boy. Leave him alone. With her cane, can barely walk. 90 years old. The police rush him like he's has a gun in his hand. He's laying on the ground with his hands up. The police rush him and the grandma falls over on top of him. It's just, it's just things like that. It was a stop sign, a stop sign. Why are you and they have three, three, three cop cars out pointing the guns at him over a stop sign. You might get pissed off because someone at questions you. Why are you, why are you p- pulling me over? Why do you want to check my car? You can't check my car. I don't give you permission to. The moment a black person tries to enforce their own rights is the moment these cops get, get so frustrated. They're not listening to me. They're, they, they're enforcing their own rights. And then that's when you get the brutality and throwing people on the ground and arresting them for no reason. They arrested him, 21 years old, arrested him for a felony. Hopefully it doesn't stick. Never had any, any issues with police in his life. And they gave him a felony because he was too scared to get out of his car because he thought he was going to be shot. So I have a similar story um, that I actually shared with my my white friend yesterday. Um, He's actually, the reason that he even wanted to hear me, one, because he just wanted to know, you know, how I walk every day and how 
to understand how what we go through every day. So, and two, he's also a licensed attorney. So me speaking to him can save a lot of lives. So that's that was my contributing uh, contribution to uh, society right now. But when I was 12 years old, I walked to the um, to the corner store. You know, it's always a corner store on every corner. Walked to the corner store down the street from my house, not even uh, a block. Um, this was at 7, 7 p.m. in Detroit. Literally walking home, I had a hoodie on, and it was raining. So I had authority to wear a hoodie because it was raining. Cops, two, two cops pulled me over, and I'm walking. They pulled me over, and I'm walking. And the, the uh, one in the passenger seat, he hopped out before the, the car even stopped as he was about to draw his weapon towards me. So I stopped. I dropped my, my bag. I dropped everything, and he told me to about over the hood of the car. So I'm like 12 years old. No one's in sight. No one's, you know, my mom is nowhere. She's at home waiting for me to get back. And when I shared that with my white friend, he said, Kurt, you know, I had no, no situations like that ever in my life. I never once feared my life by walking down the street. Um, he said, I had three misdemeanors when I was 19 and I had running it, running ins with the police that easily could have been murders, but I had my aunt who was a judge in the same county that saved me every time I got into trouble. And he said, "How do you feel about that? Do you do you feel guilty that I had white privilege like that?" I said, "No, you know what? I felt envious because I never can imagine having nothing like that. I never can imagine having no one in power and position of power to represent me." at all and and i told him when when they when they um pull me over and they say you have the right to remain silent anything you do or say can be used against you in the court of law you have a right to an attorney if you don't have one the court will appoint you one if they appoint me one justice won't be served because they don't know me personally they don't know nothing about me they know i'm a black face that they just trying to get a check and they're gonna look at me as i'm just a number he said he never had to experience none of that um, uh, you know, he had everything passed down to him. He had, he had, you know, he, he had a good education, good school systems, everything that he can ever ask for. And, and he honestly was feeling bad. And like I said, the God in me told him, don't ever feel bad for being successful, no matter who you are or where you come from. You know, as, as a black man right now, I'm, I'll be 28 years old next month. As a black man right now, I have to do what I have to do to break the generational curses that, that came before me, that came because my my family was ignorant because of what they, they do to us day in, day out, because they didn't know right from wrong, because they didn't they didn't step out on faith and build their own legacy. And I, I don't fault them, but it's it's gonna stop here. Right. You know. It's going to stop here. And and I had to let him know, don't ever feel sorry because it could have stopped with you. But no, you have two degrees. And I'm so proud of you. And even in the midst of this, I can still say I'm proud of him and I love him no matter what's going on right now. No doubt. No doubt. Ezra, how do you feel growing up with all of this going on? Here. Because I'm here to warn down the truth. And I get pulled over and I come back home. 
yeah, to wear what I want to wear. And go from there. So I think as a black parent, when you have kids, it's funny, you mentioned Ezra coming back home as a, as a black parent with kids, your entire existence with your kids is getting your kids back home. That's it. That's, it's, not, it's not all the ancillary stuff. When you go to bed at night or when you, they go out at night, it's geared towards getting your kids back home. Uh, when I was about 12 or 13, a friend of mine lived around the corner. He was my best friend around the corner. When you're 12 or 13, you're not scared about a whole lot, especially in the neighborhood I grew up in. There wasn't a whole lot to be scared of. We were scared of getting kidnapped. So it was 6 o'clock, 6.30 p.m. The streetlights had come on. He was supposed to be home, but we were both scared. So I walked him to the end of the corner, and we both grabbed screwdrivers because we were both scared of somebody coming to get us. So we walked to the end of the street, I gave him a screwdriver from my dad's garage. I had a screwdriver. We walked to the end of our street, to the end of the street. He lived on one corner. I lived on the other corner. And then from the time we left, we ran, both ran back to our homes. And so I'm running down the street in my suburban neighborhood with a screwdriver in my hand. And I got home and my dad saw me running down the street with a screwdriver in my hand. He said, what, what the hell are you doing? So I just walked Dominic down the street and we were both scared. So we were, I was running home with a screwdriver in my hand. He said, don't ever, ever, ever run down the street, this street again with a screwdriver in my hand. Not because he was concerned about what would happen to me with somebody coming to get me. He was concerned about what my neighbors might perceive or what the police might perceive me running down the street in my own neighborhood with a screwdriver in my hand. At the age of 12 or 13. And so, I mean, that existence, it just like he was just describing that, that's and just like Ezra was describing. That's, and as a black parent, what we're describing. Everything is geared around just getting your kid home at night, whether you live in the worst neighborhood and you're concerned about gang violence or whatever violence is going on. There's an additional element that you have to worry about with the people who are supposed to be serving and protecting you that they might do harm to you, but everything is here getting your child home at night. It's very true. And that's something that's tough to convey unless somebody's sitting down and willing to listen. It's almost difficult to believe. It is. I'm so excited when neither one of them go out at night. When they're both in the house at night, you know what I say to myself? And it's like eight, nine o'clock. I say, oh, I get to get a full night's of sleep. I actually get to sleep through the night without having to wake up because they're both home. Why can't I sleep every night? That's that's terrible. Um, and I and I'll say this. I'll say that luckily George Floyd situation was recorded. Luckily, you know he was he was on the ground with that cop's knee to his neck for eight nine minutes say if that girl was recording her phone was on two one percent she wouldn't have got all of that coverage because he was on his back for that long but luckily we were able to see in real time everything that happened imagine all of those black people that got killed without a camera in sight just like i said it was 12 i was 12 years old it was seven o'clock at night no one is outside everyone's eating dinner in their house 
I would be on a t-shirt right now if that was recorded, but only if that was recorded. So imagine all of those people that suffered their lives without it being recorded. Without but what's so sad, what's so sad is that it's because of all of those lives why they are recording now, why they have to wear body cameras now, why people have to break out their phones and record now. Because that's the first thing I tell him. If you get pulled over, you better slide that camera on and start recording real quick or have that person in the car with you start recording real quick. The fact that how that started and why we have to do it, that's what's wrong. Right. And, and so now what are, what are solutions? What are we looking at towards solutions? And the same what, thing what I've it, been What has everybody preaching. felt the last couple of days? Because I, oh, I, I, oh, the same thing. Oh. That's it. I've been preaching. I've I've actually felt optimistic. The last two and a half days, I've I've legitimately felt optimistic. Um, what about you guys with solutions and how are you feeling? I have to I have to challenge you all on that. I have to challenge you all on that because this stuff was happening when uh, Barack Obama was in office too. That's true. Well, it, it was it was it was still happening. It was it was less prominent, but it was still happening. No doubt. Did you hear Barack speak today on CNN? And his his sense of optimism over the past couple of days is one of the things that moved me to my sense of optimism over the past couple of days. There's been a difference. Like I said, the past two days have been different than the previous six days. But looking at the diversity in the crowds that were there today, what we've been as black people, what we've been trying to communicate to other people is feel, listen to, and understand our pain. There has been a palpable, legitimate sense of pain and anguish that has been expressed right. from the Black community for the past several hundred years, but it's coming, it's came to a head the last few days. And I've, to me, it seems as though white people and people from other ethnicities are, understanding, feeling, and acknowledging that pain. They so actually I, want to know, too. They actually want to know what's going no on, doubt. how we feel. No doubt. And that's kind of where my sense of optimism comes from, is there's been a legitimate reckoning with people asking me, friends asking me, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What can I do? What can I, I've had several conversations with several friends who I've known a lifetime but have reached out to me in the last couple of days and said, what can I do? What do you think I can do? And I've kind of felt that optimism in watching the protests the last couple of days. And that's just me. And so I'm asking you all what you've kind yeah. of felt. So I, I want to actually clear up what I, what I was saying. So it was going on still when Barack Obama was in office. So voting is number one. That's the main thing we can do. But we have to come up with realized solutions to prevent police brutality, no to, to make sure they're turning their cameras on. And not only that, I think what, what I told my, my wife friend yesterday, I told him that there should be people monitoring these cameras as well. They shouldn't, have the, they shouldn't have the authority to turn it on and turn it off That's because a lot of things that happen because they turned it off. So they, they need to have people on payroll watching these cameras in real time as they go on as they as soon as they pull somebody over, 
as soon as as soon as the car stop and the sirens are on, someone should automatically be watching what their every right. move is. That's Maybe there one. shouldn't be no on and off switch for them to have at all. Period. I as agree. soon as they clock in at work, that camera is on. You can't turn it off. You can't do anything when you clock out. You're handed it in, and they control when it goes on and goes off. And, and that was the whole movie. For, that was the whole base for that movie, uh, Black and Blue. I don't know if you guys saw that, but that was, yeah, the, same. That was the whole base for that movie. Is is that body cam? The and body they were <laughs> they were trying to get her the whole movie because that body cam was turned on when everybody else turned off their body cams. I think it's really really important. I think that voting is really really important because voting for your local officials really take the time to do your research and make sure that these officials are ones that stand by you in your community because this is going to be the difference between if cop if, if anyone is uh, is a, is afraid or not of committing certain acts there are lots of 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 people lots of examples of previous um police brutality that there's no convictions at all everyone knows the saying you kill a black person, all you get is, uh, what is it, administration leave uh, with pay, and that's it. And no one else is worried about anything. So if you vote for your local officials who say, I'm against police brutality, who say, you know, I will, uh, uh, judges, I will, you know, if convicted, I will give them, you know, the same sentence I would give someone else. Because at the end of the day, no matter what uniform you're wearing, you're still a person killing another person. And, and to that to that point, Kendra, I'm so glad you said that, and that's so true. Um, so that's why right now I live in Atlanta. I feel so secure having Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms as our mayor. Yeah, I love your mayor. Yeah. I love her. She's like, yeah. like the black mama to the whole black community. I feel like she was my mama. I love her. Yes, yes. And it's, it's, it's honestly refreshing having her in office, um, and I hope she stays as long as she can. But on, on, not only once during this whole thing, I don't know if you guys seen um, in Atlanta, the cops pulled over that couple, the, that college couple. College couple. And, and, they, and they immediately tased them for oh. no reason. They, they sla- oh. First, they, sla- they slashed their tires so that they, they can drive off. What? And then, they, and then they tased them immediately. I didn't hear about this one. Yes. Oh, They've been all over but, the news the yeah, last. They, it, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. It was, and it was six cops for two people. And and the, the girlfriend was screaming for her life. So so what Keisha Lansbaum did, they got on the phone and they got all of those cops arrested immediately. And then now the two the, the couple is on CNN speaking about their experience. They're not locked up, they're not dead, they're not doing anything. And that that's what made me feel good. And also to your point about Obama and uh I have I have this uh I don't know if you guys see it. Can't see it. Oh, there we go. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Uh, she tweeted after watching the Obama thing, uh, and she says Atlanta accepted challenge Barack Obama, and she tagged him. She said, "I will issue an executive order establishing a commission of stakeholders and organizers to examine our use of force policies and call upon them to make recommendations accordingly." Thank you for your leadership. And that's what he did is he called upon the mayors in every city and the police chiefs in every city to revisit their force, their force recommendations, 
to revisit everything, every every city, every major city to revisit everything, and come to the table with with changes. And that's what it takes. That's it was, what it takes. It was presidential, and it yes. filled the vacuum that's created by the lack of leadership that's in the White House right now. And that's mm. why it's been people have so people have responded to it with such great force because it's filled a back a leadership vacuum that exists right now in the White House. But that's a whole nother story. Yeah, so that's, right. a conversation. <laughs> yeah. that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. So, hey, so um, to, Kendra's, yeah. To, to Kendra's point, I wanna I wanna challenge you guys to not only steady up on the politicians to vote, to get out there and, and actually put on your social media that I voted, like just to lead by example. Right. And also right. to talk to your, like like you said, Corey, talk to your non-black friends, make sure that they're educated properly, make sure that they know what we go through every day so they can feel it and actually try to do something about it because it starts with that one family and then it goes to other families. And my, my friend, he said right. he's, he, he said today he's been talking to his family all day. He's been talking to his girlfriend family about me all day because of everything that I told him about yesterday on our Zoom call. So I, I really challenge all of you to get out there and just make sure that they feel us. They, they know what we go through every day. They, they feel how we feel. And, you know, they, they can't be in our skin, but they can know where we come from and, and right. actually do something because it only starts with one person. Just like you said, it started with Obama right. and he reached out to the mayors. It starts with one person that will lead their army and and uh, reach out to their, their families and their friends. So I challenge that to all of you. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, it's, we yeah, need it's, them it's, too. We, we need them too. We can't do this by ourselves. We need them too. That's, that's what true. I was trying to explain. I was trying to explain this to somebody on social media because there was a post that was made. Um, it was a it was a white guy and he has two half black siblings and he was just saying like, you know, I'll stand for you and everything like that. And this this black guy just came on the post with so much hatred. And I'm just like, you have to realize that we, we need everyone. We need everyone. I saw um, a, 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 an amazing um, a Native American tribe doing a dance in Minneapolis um, for George Floyd. We need everyone. Yeah. So you can't, you, you know, you can't say, you know, you just, I know the black people are tired of having to explain things over and over again to each and every white friend and things of that nature. We could just put out a blanket statement, you know, and have um, Obama or, um, you know, Al Sharpton make a statement to all white people to explain how we feel. But <laughs> we need, we, even though we're tired of, of explaining everything, we need them too, or there's not going to be uh, a change. Right. No, yeah, so speaking on that, Kendra. Retired as well. Song, you, were, you wanted to say something. What were you going to say? Yeah, well, just to kind of, you know, to, to, to piggyback off of what Kendra's saying is this, you know, do you guys feel like this all lives matter slogan is dangerous? I mean, that's, yeah. it is the conversation is that, yeah, it's, you know, that example, you know, I'm hearing is that, you know, there's a house on fire and then, you basically right. put water on all the houses and go, all the houses matter, but you ignore the house that's on fire. So, I you mean, know what? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to even challenge that one. I heard that one, but I made my own. So imagine if me, Sung, and Corey, and um, I don't know, Zach, a white guy, is walking in the airport together. All four of us are walking together. Corey passes out. 
Son, what what you gonna do if Corey pass out? Uh, I wouldn't give him CPR right away. Uh, I would I would check his <laughs> pulse and then kind of clean his mouth and then then I would go in. That's the coronavirus is not coronavirus. To my point. To <laughs> my point, you would do something to help him so that he don't lose his life. Right. So that's how they should look at us. We're suffering right now. Right. We're right now. We're tired. We're exhausted. We passed out. Help right. us. Help us. Right. That's a good analogy. You know, the thing is, the thing is, is that I, I think all lives matter. All it does is it, is it tries to trump, <laughs> it tries to trump uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, and I just, and, and we, and we, I think that the house burning analogy is good. I like the passing out the airport. That's good. But for some odd reason, these all lives matters people, they just don't want to listen. They just don't want to hear it. You know, I don't know. I, I keep trying to encourage people of color to run for office because I'm not saying that if, if, if more people of color run for office, that there's something bad is going to happen to, to white right. people. It just means that at least it could be like, well, it, all lives do matter. And and I'm going to, you know, um, but my thing is, is that I just want people to understand that you can be Black Lives Matter and you can also be Blue Lives Matter. Just because you, you, you're, you, you know, you say Black Lives Matter, it doesn't mean. Oh, she must have, you know, to kind of say what she's saying, you know, they feel like they're having a problem with it is because it's not happening to them. You know, what if it was the Hispanic community going through this? Are they going to say that the Hispanic community lives don't matter? You know, Kendra, I was saying that, um, they're having a problem with it is because it's not happening to them. It makes a difference when it, when the camera's turned on you. And, and, and miss me with that Blue Lives Matter stuff, man. Like, at the end of the day, it's not about them being police officers. It's about what color their skin is. They're only police officers from this time at 1 a.m. Uh, uh, in the morning to this time at night. We are black, twenty four seven, three sixty five, all true. the time. You know, so we, so so the, the entire time. So I don't want to hear about blue lives, you know, because it's not happening to them. They have people mm -hmm. to protect them. We don't. Yeah, they have people right. that would join us. All we have is each other. They That's have, true. They have, That's right. they have partners. They have people that they go out in the field with. You know, they have the whole justice system, and it's it's made against right. black people. Who's protecting us? The whole oh, justice system—that's exactly other. right. Yeah. If you kill a police officer, you're you're leaving either in a body bag, or you're going uh, to jail for the rest of your life, or you're getting executed straight Not up. Even that's it. If, if you that's if you assault a police officer, you're you're getting time. It's trouble. Right. Ask the question. Right. If you don't even kill, hit a police you officer, you get arrested. Right. If you spit on them, it's assault. If you push them, you're getting arrested. There's nothing, but you can make Corey and his dad stop in the middle of the street and harass them for no reason. That's the difference between Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter. The whole reason why Black Lives Matter exists is because 
and I'll, I'll, I'll add to that. Um, I, I feel like so other races, they come from a point to where they don't have to worry about what we go through every day. So they can walk, they can go through their everyday lives. They can reach success. They can study for the, the, the GMAT. They can, mm-hmm. they can do everything with a clear conscience. We're constantly thinking about when we leave our house, am I going to die today? You know, right. is, will, will this be the day? I'm, I'm a, I told son the other day I was going for a job. When, I, when I'm running out there, I'm watching my back 24-7, and that's a horrible feeling. I, I tell my daughter when I go for a jog around my when I go for a jog around our neighborhood, if I'm not, I tell her how many miles I'm a jog. If I'm not back in 30 minutes, if I'm jogging three miles, if I'm not back in 30 minutes, then call me, see where I'm at, see what's going on. And I that's something I say to her every single time. The the base assumption is that all lives matter. We all start, we all start feeling the base assumption when we start monopoly on go. The base assumption is that all lives matter. We are, we're all in agreement. We're all in agreement that all lives matter, correct? So it doesn't need to be said to us that blue lives matter, that all lives matter. We, we know this from the base assumption, but once you start moving across the board, there are people who don't know necessarily that all lives matter. That we, we gotta tell you before we, before we come back around and get to go again, we have to remind you, hey, remember again, the black lives matter. We're never going to stop having to remind people that that's the case, or at least we haven't reached the point yet where we have to stop reminding people that hopefully we get there. We'll get there that someday we don't have to remind everybody. But you certainly don't need to tell me that all lives matter because I started from go knowing that all lives matter. Your life mattered to me when I started my journey. But how have you felt about what my life matters means to you? And you can't you can't even say all lives matter because ours haven't mattered yet. That's the point. You, you, you can't you, you can't say they weren't. They didn't matter from the moment we came on here. That's the point. They never mattered. So, so you yeah, might you might at that point you might as well say all lives matter except black lives. Right. <laughs> that's, 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 that's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. And I sorry I I had a bad wife. I'm good now. We should be good. No more cutting out because that was frustrating. <laughs> that's the point I was trying to make. The whole reason why the Black Lives Matter hashtag even started was because there were so many black lives. There were being so many unarmed black people. They were being killed, which means that you don't have any justifiable cause to kill an unarmed person. They can't make possibly make you feel uncomfortable with their cell phone on their hand or them laying down on the ground with their hands up. There's no possible way they can make you feel uncomfortable or make you feel like they're going to kill you or running away from you. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. I have no idea how you can be running away from somebody and it justifies you killing them or somebody being handcuffed, Freddie Gray, and and justifies you killing them. I have no idea how that's possible, but that's the whole reason why Black Lives Matter hashtag even exists is because when you kill an unarmed black person that is not being a threat to you and you get to go home in your bed and sleep because you're a police officer or just a white guy or just raised by a white daddy, George Zimmerman, even just that, (laughs) when you're able to kill, take a, a human life and then go home and watch the Brady Bunch on TV, that's why the hashtag exists. So matter, we know you matter because if I look at you wrong, I get arrested. Your life must matter a lot. 
It's way more than so all lives matter is just made to put a shadow over the reason why black lives matter and i and i and i i wish um there, there's more platforms to have difficult conversations with people who strongly oppose black lives matter or strongly oppose um you know what's going on um i had a conversation with a, with a white friend i don't know years ago when someone else got killed and he said well if black lives matter isn't a terrorist group they're doing a a really uh, bad uh, a way of, of explaining themselves or something. I said, well, what news cycle do you watch? Fox? That explains it. <laughs> How about you have a conversation with a black person? So I took the time to enlighten him. And he said, I never thought of it like that. How, when would you have the opportunity to do that? Yeah, you know, so that goes to, you know, a question with, to Chubbs, Ezra. Um, <laughs> You know, when, when, I, when I'm around you and, you know, growing up in our family, as a young person, I had to learn what racism was once I got older. Because when I was around all of you guys growing up, Corey, you know, like we always, I always stayed at your house with, you know, um, Michael and, and, and uh, Oren. And those memories, I was, I was like, I didn't understand the difference between like a white person and a black person growing up. I thought you guys were just American. Like I looked up to Corey, I, you know, he had the, the, you know, he played ball. He had the fresh Jordans. He had the, he had the sweet Jerry curl that I admired. Like I wanted a, I, I actually tried to like get a Jerry curl because of that. <laughs> I kid you not. I, I kid you not. Right. So, to me, there was no like. This, this like difference between him or Dominic or you know his 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 white buddy or I had to eventually learn that and then when I when I'm around Chubbs when I'm at Ezra and that's something I want to ask Lashanda is uh, like I don't think he sees like different races different from himself but then so I want to know how you were able to teach him that but then also this follow-up question for Chubbs is are you afraid of white people? Well, first, Lashonda. Yeah, I never taught him the difference, really, in race when he was growing up. He had friends of all different races. I had friends of all different races. I, I never personally, with my friends, experienced anything racist. I grew up in predominantly white neighborhood as well. I didn't pretty much started teaching him the difference in the, his skin tone until recently, until he became a teenager, until as the cycle kind of gotten worse over time, you know? So he's kind of, that is a really good question with you because you didn't grow up thinking like that. So how, how, do, how do you think now? Um, I'm still, I'm not really scared of white people, but like, I'm scared of white people with a badge and a gun in their head. That's, that's mainly it. I've been put in cuffs for walking across the street and looking behind my badge trying to walk my surroundings. Ever since then, I've been scared, but 
I'm not scared of white people on the arm. I'm not scared of white people with the badge and the gun. Basically, he's scared of the police. (laughs) We've all grown up with culturally diverse existences and upbringing. I mean, look at our our family is culturally diverse. So we have an unconditional love for people. People in our family range from A to Z. So how else could you have anything but unconditional love for everybody that you come in contact with? Yeah. What I'm starting to realize is, is the word empathy. There are people who don't have the ability to put themselves in another person's shoes. I'm a naturally empathetic person. I've never been a woman. So I don't know what it's like to have to grasp my keys in my hand when I'm walking from one place to another to feel like I'm going to be attacked. I don't know what that's like. But if I do want to know what that's like, I will ask somebody who I trust. And I acknowledge that that existence exists. I don't know what it's like to have to grab the hold of a hand of a person that I love and walk into a place and feel like I'm looked down upon because that person happens to be of the same sex. I don't know what that feeling's like because I'm not gay. But if I do want to know what that feeling's like, I will ask somebody who I trust. And I know that that feeling exists. I'm empathetic. I'm able to place myself in another person's shoes. Right. People don't understand or know what it's like to be black, but they have people that they know that they trust who they can ask what it's like. And they have to have the ability to place themselves in another person's shoes. And what I'm coming to understand is there may be people who are not, who don't either don't have the ability to empathetic be empathetic or refuse to be mm-hmm. empathetic. One and, of those two things exists. And you just defined a lot. Privilege. That that is what <laughs> exactly what white privilege is. That's exactly to be able to move in in the world without having to think about who you are. Right. You can just move in the world with, unapologetically um, without any um, without any empathy or uh, caring about another another race, in particular, white privilege, that's exactly what it is because the world is already designed mm-hmm. around you. No doubt. You can, you, the world is designed around you. You don't design around the world. You don't walk into a room and say, oh man, I'm the only one, white one here. I mean, maybe in Atlanta, Kurt, I don't know. That happens a lot, <laughs> you know? But <laughs> but most but 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 most uh people you know if you're white you can walk into a room you don't have to think oh I'm a white or you don't have to think I gotta act differently so that these people don't think that all white people act like this or as a white male you don't have to say oh well you know I I might I should not wear this uh, clothing or listen to this music because I don't want everyone else to think that I'm just like that other white guy. And you just don't think. You, you just, just don't think. You just wake up. <laughs> you don't watch TV and say, man, God, there's a, I haven't seen, I've watched five commercials and not one white person in the last five, maybe BET, I don't know. But most of the time, <laughs> or, you can, or you can go to um, a movie theater and, and, and you see 10 movies and not one of those movies has a, uh, a, a leading person that's not white. You go, 
dang, I can't get any movies with someone who looks like me. That's the definite, Corey, you just explained a definition no of white doubt. privilege and no why doubt. it's so dangerous to the rest and, of us. And, I, and I'll, I'll say from my point of view, I wasn't raised to view any type of race. I was, I was not even taught. It's just like, like you said, Corey. Like you know, it's it's inheritance. It's who you are as a person. Right. And, and, and me and Song talk about this literally every phone call about being a good person. Song told me that he don't thrive off of how much money you got or who you know or how famous you are. It's about are you a good person? Right. And, I will forever carry that with me. And I only surround myself around good people who's going to do good for me. And and I, I went to Michigan State, so I, I went to PWI, and I was around. I have white roommates. I had other races as roommates. And I always looked at them as just another human being that had the same heart, the same. They bleed the same as me. They breathe the same air. My brother, my dude, my yeah. the same food. So it's yeah, so it's we're, we're all we're all one species, just different colors. So uh, it's it's all in your heart. Who are you as a person? Not ho- how was you raised? Who, not who who you come from? Who are you? Life is all about choices. We choose to wake up every day and go to work. We choose to brush our teeth. You know, a lot of people don't. You know, that's that's their prerogative. But everything is about choices. So. I choose to be around people that actually have a good mindset that's that's positive, that can look at something that's so negative and think so positive. When I get on, you know, everybody uses this whole analogy of getting on the elevator and people stopping to get off immediately because you're a black person on the elevator. When I get on the elevator, I immediately speak. I immediately speak with a smile and let them know that I'm not a threat. I have nothing you have nothing that I want from you. And and you know what? Half the time they don't speak back. But that that's all right. That's you know, okay. That's a choice. I'm I'm still gonna be happy. I'm still gonna smile. I'm still gonna I'm still gonna be happy because I know that I did something godly and I could have made that person day because I told that person I'm not a threat. It's okay. I'm a normal person. You can talk to me. And I might even make that person's day. And that's my good deed from God for today. So I have, I can't, like I said earlier, I can't change who I am no matter what. I have to be Kurt Madison at all times, and that's what I will. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. To me, any trial or tribulation to me is an opportunity, and um, I've seen this as an opportunity and a blessing. Like I said, I've had several friends reach out to me over the last several days via phone call or via text and then some reaching out. I, to me, this is a huge opportunity. We're at the precipice of a watershed moment in our country and we all have an opportunity to use this moment to make change. And I'm choosing to actively with my thoughts, words, actions, deeds, to make a change and uh, I'm embracing it and I'm, I'm loving it. Like I said, the last couple of days, I've felt um, really optimistic about what's, what's to come, what's to change, what's to happen. And I intend on following through with that. There's a momentum that's created right now and it's, us, it's up to us to move forward with this momentum because the new cycle 
eventually the news cycle is going to move on. Yep. A month ago, <laughs> a month ago it was coronavirus. This month it's this. Next month it may be Trump and whatever he decides. But it's up to us to use this momentum to carry this forward to make sure that this isn't the last conversation that we have to move everything forward. And that's that's what I feel in my heart, and so that's what I'll continue to do. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, Trump. I think Trump is doing an awesome job in keeping the momentum going and the fuel going because every time he speaks, it just makes things worse. No doubt. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Which is great because it's causing more people to mobilize. I agree. You know, I agree. Got, Corey, Corey, you know the numbers. When he got uh, elected in 2016, 2018 had the highest midterm elections. No for doubt. minorities in no his the highest midterm election turnout for minorities because he was one in 2016 we was like oh no nah, we gotta at least this is somebody in the house can we can we, can we block him like like they blocked obama please like something so you know i'm i'm I, this is the probably the only time two times i've ever thanked trump in my life First time was the $1,200. I didn't need it, but I appreciated it. <laughs> First time was the stimulus check. And the second time is this situation here. Every time he speaks, that's cool. If you're not going to preach unity and love, keep preaching your thing because it's only mobilizing people. We're seeing the results of that the last two days. There is no doubt in my mind that the unity you've seen in people the last two days is just being tired of the leadership of our country. There's no doubt in my mind. I could be wrong, but to me, I don't. I don't think I'm wrong. No, I completely agree. And I, what I would say to that is, uh, to Kendra's point, uh, he's doing an awesome job. And I've and I'm, you know, I always try, like I said, see a positive in a negative situation. We are in two negative situations: a pandemic and the the world going on with. Black Lives Matter. So two and one, and I'm still able to see the positive. And that's right. what I see. I see our people coming together. I see us blacking out, you know, Instagram. Um, everybody shutting shut down their, their, their corporations just to make it known that this is not right. But on the other hand, everybody is going to be at the polls. And I'm so excited about it um, from dads to moms to dogs to catch <laughs> everybody <laughs> and I'm so excited about that. Yeah. Hey you remember when um um Trump was running and then you were like, What if he becomes president? And I was like, nah, impossible. It's I all drama. It's all, all show. I said I said I told my friends all the time. I said my cousin was like and I, yeah, I don't put you on blast, son. Don't worry. I don't say your name. But I go he was on the phone and, he, and I was like, but son, he was like, oh, he's like, that's not, it's not, it's not possible. And sometimes, <laughs> and I know we all still have that moment, right? Like when we wake up, we're like, is Trump really president? <laughs> it's like four, it's almost four years later and we're still like, <laughs> it just seemed like a movie, it seemed like a, a cartoon out of The Simpsons, right? Because yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> because The Simpsons thought that it was so ridiculous. And I, would, I, would never, I would never forget it. Me and my wife was asleep. We, took, we, we were watching it on TV and we took a nap while it was still on our TV. And we woke up and they said, 
Trump is the new president, and we looked up, and we went back to sleep like we had to be dreaming. <laughs> we had to, and then we woke up again, and it was real, and it was just like, what? That right. I kept waiting for uh, Ashton Kush, that guy Ash, Ashton uh, Kush, uh, yeah, to come out and go ass Right, Just kidding. But, but hopefully, but think about it. Yeah. This is probably. I wonder who the last president had to go and retreat to a bunker. Like, what in our history? Like, who was the last president? Like, I'm sure. I'm sure Washington. Probably Nixon when he got called out. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this is like. There's a lot of similar parallels to like Adolf Hitler stuff there. I know. Oh, no. Like, yeah, right? It's like, I, nah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, that was, that's how he won his election was fear, was fear, putting fear in people, mm-hmm. putting fear of uh, illegal immigrants and, and, and um, successfully running a campaign, campaign to make people feel like Hillary cannot function as a president because she doesn't know how to send an email. Like that just discredits her entire 30 years worth of worth of politics because she doesn't know how to send an email. So it's all, you know, it's built, it's built on fear. And I, and I know that I've, I've heard a lot of people say I'm not voting in this election. That there's just, no, there's no good choices, but you have to vote. And because if you don't vote, if you don't vote, then you're giving a vote to the person that you really don't want. It might be true. But if you don't vote, right? But if you don't vote, you're giving the election away to someone that you really don't want. And I know that there are there's good and uh, bad people on both sides, but just pick a side and vote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I I think a lot of you know this panel is interesting because. I had invited some other people that were not black, right? And you know, the the the, the general consensus eventually came back was like they didn't feel like they had a a right to speak on what's going on. And I think a lot of people are going to be able to learn from this, but you know, that the stories are wonderful, the personal stories are, you know, interesting and to get perspective, but I really want to use this opportunity to go how can everybody else, right? The other people, the other non-black people, what can they do? You know, because I think they're at loss. Like, they're friends that are like, just kind of like running around sickles. I want to do something. I, don't want, I want to do something, but they're not going to go protest because they're afraid of the COVID thing. You know, in the voting thing, they already vote. But then in the moment right now, they feel powerless and they feel like they are actually part of the problem. And then same here, guys. It's like, you know, if I didn't grow up and I wasn't dealt the cards in my life and I didn't grow up with you guys, my lens, my perspective on black folks would be totally different because look, man, just, you know, white, whites are not the only racist people. They're, Asians are the hell, hello racist, you know, and <laughs> black people are racist. There's, there's bad seeds in every, every ethnicity, but then, it's the education, it's perspective, it's opportunity to have, you know, diverse friends. It's an opportunity to have parents that grew up in that environment. But right now, for everyone that is on the side of Black Lives Matter, I don't know, man. Like, I don't, 
What how, do we do? I'm, I'm keeping it brief. I'll, I'll answer. I'm keeping mine brief. I'll say okay. my two words are un unconditional trust. You don't have to experience what I've experienced, but if you trust me, love me, value me, you can trust the, the pain that I'm telling you about is real. You can trust me that the pain and the experience that I'm feeling is real. Now, President Obama tweeted out yesterday, he tweeted out a link to five, six, seven different organizations that you could have tangible goals and things to contribute to if you really want to contribute, whether it's the Innocence Project or four or five other tangible things that he tweeted out that each and every one of us could verbalize, grab a hold of, and contribute to. If people really want to know, they can find that tweet, look at it, and contribute to one of those organizations. Contribute your time, your energy, your effort, or your money. Any one of those you can do. And then just trust the people that you love and that you care about to, to believe and hear and understand and feel what it is that they're feeling. I think it's really, really important to have those uncomfortable conversations um, with your friends and family. So if you're not black and you hear someone uh, say something derogatory, not just about black people, but everybody, you know, have that uncomfortable conversation. Why are you saying that? Call, call them out on it. It's, it's uncomfortable for you, it's uncomfortable for them, but really changing everyone's mindset was, is what's going to be the difference for our future. So have that uncomfortable conversation. I have, I've had a lot of support from my white friends in my direct messages and my DMs reaching out to me, telling me that they are thinking of me and they're caring about me and everything. And that's great, but make a post on your Facebook, on your, <laughs> on your news feed. And it might piss some of your family members off, but it's important because those conversations is what changed the mindset of, of people in this country. That's how you transition from being a slave picking cotton to working next to your coworker is because people's mindsets started changing with uncomfortable conversations. So be an advocate. That's all I want. Be an advocate. Yeah. Um, those are two great points. Um, but I'll, I'll say educate yourselves. Um, not only from books. Books is a main source that you can educate, educate yourselves. But like you said, Kendra, ask your friends. You have friends for a reason. Even if you don't have friends, ask your friends that actually have black friends to understand exactly what we go through. Have these raw conversations. Let them know that they can ask you whatever, get off their chest, because that's what they, they you know, people are afraid. They're, they, they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. They're going to you know, offend us, but you have to tell them it's okay. We, I'd rather you do it with me than do it with somebody that's going to judge you, which I'm not here to do. I'm here to help you. Um, and also, uh, watch movies. Watch When They See Us. Watch uh, If Bill Street Can Talk. Watch uh, Black and Blue, like you said. Um, and uh, it's so many, so many. Uh, watch uh, Just Mercy, which Warner Brothers just re released that they're. Um, they're lifting the rent price for it's free right now on a lot of platforms mm -hmm. where they can oh, wow. watch it. Yes, yeah. it's free right now for them so they can watch it, understand what we go through being incarcerated as a black man. Um, that's on death row. So, so educate yourself, educate yourself, educate yourselves. You just gotta learn and educate yourselves and basically talk to other people.
if you don't talk to what you don't, if you don't talk to someone and learn what you don't know, you can't do better. But yeah, why, talk to your and other white friends said, the easiest thing not around. Right now is, <laughs> yeah, and the easiest thing they can do, like Kendra said, is just to make posts, make awareness, use their platform mm -hmm. because they're not, you know, in, in the past, they wouldn't do that. They, they wouldn't be on our side at all. So it's amazing to see so many, so many um, Caucasian people do so. And I, I actually had an uncomfortable uh back and forth with an agent in Atlanta, an acting agent in Atlanta, uh, it's their whole agency is predominantly white. And she's an older white lady. She's the, she's the head of the agency. And this is, uh, and she literally, I, I won't say the, the agency name, but she, she literally is trying her hardest to understand what we go through every day so that her talent, her roster know that they actually love and care about their people. And, I'm not even a part of the agency and she's willing to hear me out just so that she can educate herself and learn. So that's all it takes for us to be on one accord. That's all it takes. Yeah, you're right. What about you, Ezra? What would you say to high school kids your age that are not black, that want to help, want to be, try to do something positive? The main thing is what they've been saying is Learn, ask, ask questions, ask people around you, peers. Yeah. That's really the only thing is to learn from other people. Yeah, I want to thank everybody here. Mm -hmm. I want to thank Ezra, uh, my cousin Lashanda, cousin Corey, my friend Kurt, and my cousin Kendra. Um, and so let's 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 end this on a positive note. Um, and this this the this lockdown it seems like it's slowly slowly coming to an end what what are you looking forward to do like what is the first thing you do when this whole thing is lifted kendra you can start um so the first thing i'm going to do is uh be comfortable walking at a grocery store uh, <laughs> 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 who knew that a, that a grocery store would be such a scary place <laughs> Because <laughs> of the mask and stuff, you mean? Or, or, or well, there's, there's just so many, you know, germs flying around and everything. So I, I go in, shoot oh. it and boot it, you know. It like, <laughs> 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 got my mask on. I got eyeglasses. Like, you're not going to get me, Rona. You're not going to get me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the first thing I'm looking forward to. And maybe going back to hotels because I love staycations. So it's. It's killing me softly that my bed yeah. is the only bed I get to sleep in. <laughs> what about you, Kurt? Um, I'm eager to get back into the audition room. Um, mm -hmm. having, having these self-tapes, um, I've been mastering them um, to the best of my ability. Um, but I love callbacks. I love actually one-on-one -on -one interaction with casting directors and stuff like that. So I feel like that's one of the main things that um, – that I, I want to do so they can actually feel me and not look at the screen and you know, not know who I am or my mannerisms and stuff. Um, but my birthday, like I said, my birthday is next month on July 12th. I actually had a flight uh, before COVID hit to come see you uh, in LA um, from July 10th through the 14th. And we actually, it's crazy, today we canceled those flights and got our credit um, just because we don't know if it's going to be open, what we can do, 
or nothing like that. So we're just going to stay home in Atlanta and just try to celebrate here. So um, I just look forward to getting back to what normal was or what normal will be like from this point on. The audition process. You know, that reminds me of, remember when we were doing that movie in Gainesville, Georgia? So that, so guys, I met Kurt doing this movie back where I used to live in Gainesville. And there was, I had, my character had to do this dance sequence, this whole dance sequence. And I was telling, I was telling the director and I was telling everybody and they, and then they put Kurt as my background, right? Like they had like a, a white guy and then Kurt, like, so they're supposed to be like my, you know, best man. And they come in, we have like this whole Milli Vanilli. <laughs> and they actually hired a professional, like, a choreographer from from I think the Atlanta Hawks. She came in and she's yep. all professional. She has all these like crazy moves, and I was like, uh, I I can't do that. And then Kurt looks at it and he's all, bah, bah, bah. he's like like this, so I'm like this. And then the white guy's like, yeah, I can do that too. And then I'm sitting there, going, I can't do that. And I, <laughs> I got frustrated and frustrated, and I told him that story, Corey, when we were kids, we would have these family reunions, and then our cousin Oren. He wanted to be like, what's his, Leroy from Fame, right? So he would always, at the reunions, like choreograph all of these crazy, you know, dance sequences all the kids would rehearse the whole summer. I'd be staying at Corey's house and we'd be there. And every day, Oren would force us to do the, like the new edition routine, right? And oh. I couldn't do it, man. <laughs> this, is where, this is where racism, I realized as a kid, racism was, and I mean, all jokes, but this is where I realized racism was taught because I remember trying to explain to Corey and Oren, I was like, I can't do this. And they're like, why not? And I go, because I'm not. <laughs> I'm not black. And then Orion's answer was, it doesn't matter. You're part of a family, man. If you're part of a family, you know how to dance. And I'm like, I, I do not. And then deja vu, I'm with Kurt. And I'm looking at him going, dude, I do not know how to do this, man. It, it, and then you know what sucks? That Kurt was so good. They took him out and replaced him with some white dude that couldn't dance. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they they literally walked up to me and they said the the assistant director said Kurt I'm sorry I gotta cut you you you're just too good for him. <laughs> it was true though. All right, Corey, what about you? What are you looking forward to doing? Uh, mine are pretty simple. One, I, my birthday was in March. Right after my birthday, right when my birthday came is when the pandemic started. So I'm having a dinner at STK here with my friends, that's one thing. And I'm actually looking forward to moving this momentum forward. Um, I talked to a couple of elected officials already and I wanna talk to Deshaun Miles, good friend of our family who's a police officer, a black police officer to help bridge the gap between the black community and somebody who's a sergeant in a police force and bring it all together. So I'm continuing to move the momentum forward. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm so I'm so happy and like proud to see you move into like you know, public service and leadership because, dude, you know, I, I run into people in LA and you know Hollywood and I, I talk about you know my my cousin Corey Enos, right? And dude, you you are like you're kind of the mayor of Vegas because you guys are true Vegas <laughs> residents, like right. like born and raised Vegas folks. So you represent Vegas well, and uh, 
very I'm, I'm happy to see that Corey. so i appreciate yeah. it man yeah man um so if you become like the mayor of vegas i got you you get us some rooms at the win get some the space the pod sorry second that no sound no we all family now so Right. <laughs> like, it's so weird because Sam just said he's not black, but you sounded pretty black. <laughs> Asians, Asians are always looking for a hookup too. <laughs> um, all right, Chubbs, what about you? What are you looking forward to doing? First thing I'm gonna do is go shopping and go to the gym. <laughs> I'm yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah. Miss out on a couple pair of shoes. Yeah. And I'm getting fat. Yeah, time to hit the weights, right? Yes. Yeah. See, that's young man problems. Shoes <laughs> and looking looking fresh for the ladies, right? That's why. Oh, that's why you go no. to the gym. My body's in. Oh, shut oh, up. Oh, get out of here. Please. Oh, uh, bad knees and a bad back. Uh, what about you, LaShonda? What are you looking forward to? For me, I am looking forward to my son's graduation. When all of this is over, I am looking forward to his high school graduation. I'm looking forward to them setting a date so I can see my baby walk across the stage in his cap and gown. Uh, so Congratulations to it. both of y'all. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, so they're going to actually have a walk and ceremony? That they plan they're talking that? about the date. They said we should know sometime next week, so hopefully soon. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to, you know, during this lockdown, I realized, man, it's like you start, you start appreciating your friends and, and, and family and the ability to touch people, to give hugs and like smell and um, just be around, just be next to each other, you know, to, to hear the physical act. The Zoom is all nice and everything, but, you know, I, it, yeah, it's it's, yeah. Yeah, we need to, yeah, we, yeah, we need to get together, so. That's what I'm doing. Right. We need a cousin session pretty soon. Yeah. Hey, real quick, it wouldn't be son's garage without a car. So I have a car. This is my baby. Right? <laughs> what is it? This is how son what is it? my baby. This is a um a nineteen sixty-two impala. And okay. uh, I got the purple uh fire things. And I, you were talking about a copa. I don't know if this got a copa. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> uh, that was a that was a pretty this good imitation when, of this me. This is when it should cut off for her. That? This is when it should cut off for her. <laughs> yeah, your reception's bad. It just got really bad. I switched. I'm right. busy. Oh. All right, guys. Um, well, you guys, I enjoyed this. This was great. A great combo, and we got a new friend to the family. Kurt, it was nice meeting you. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, same, same, and now uh, this is definitely much needed. It, it, my heart is is super, super full. So, uh, first of all, Son, thank you for orchestrating this and putting this together. Um, second, thank you all for your time. And Ezra, definitely, I still want to get in contact with you, um, especially because you said you you in the gym too. So I'm in there heavy. I can give you some pointers and everything. So uh, make sure we we uh, connect after this. So. You know how they say, hey, Kurt, you know how they say the camera adds 15 pounds, right? You, know, you guys, the camera for you, like, takes away 100 pounds because 
Kurt is huge, man. Like he's a mountain of a man. Like you know, when you're around a man, you kind of feel insecure about your own madness, right? No, I'm serious. No, I'm serious. Like physically, you go, ah, oh, this ain't even fair, man. This is and, but, but because he's so nice, you go, oh, you, you know, there's a human behind it. But man, you know, it's like yeah, I, I call myself a, a gentle giant. Yeah, as we have a lot to learn. He, um, it's you know you have a lot to learn from this man. So, all right, guys, love you all. Love you love all. You okay. All right. No all right. See you soon. See you guys. All right. okay. all right. God bless. Bye. God bless. All right. God bless. All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning into Songs Garage and spending some time with us. I'd like to thank all my guests today for their invaluable discussions. Uh, you don't have to do the work of educating others, but you continue to do so. So for that, I am forever grateful, and I love you guys. And moving forward, I hope the world continues to listen and offer unconditional trust to the experiences of our Black communities. Now, this is a pivotal moment in time where we are shaping a more just society that values black lives. So let's keep doing the work and stay safe during these tough times. We all check in with one another and just be open to having tough conversations. Let's just talk it out. All right, everyone. Y'all be good. It's time to give a shout out to all the people that made Sounds Garage possible. We got producers Anson Ho, Sal Gatula, Gary Lee, Aaron Strong going. We got music by the one and only talented Lyrics Born. We got food, catering, and hugs and love by Mickey Yang. All right. Thank you very much. And also, all of you guys that are listening. Till next time, peace out. See you at Song's Garage.